0: Good morning, and welcome to Inspired, your grown-up girl talk. I am Stacy Fleece. I am here with Samantha Tredelius and Jennifer Tovani. Good morning, gals. Good morning. So uh, I'm super excited about today's episode because we are here with one of my favorite people on the planet, Dr. Karen Horton, who is a esteemed plastic surgeon based here in San Francisco. Um, and just an amazing all around supporter of women, um, therapist of body image issues. Um, I'm, you know, we've cried, we've laughed. I'm sure she does that with all of her clients, but, uh, Karen, welcome. And, uh, thank you for joining us
1: today. Couldn't be happier to have you here. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. It's an honor to be part of this podcast. So, um, I have spent
0: a lot of COVID watching 17 seasons of Grey's Anatomy with my children, um, (laughs) twice. And uh, there's a lot of discussion with the residents about, um, you know, what specialty they're going to go into when they get Mm -hmm. to that point. So uh, in
1: real life, non-Grey's Anatomy world, um, how did you choose plastic? That's a good question. Well, I'm a surgeon's daughter. I'm the oldest of three girls and my father was a surgeon. He was a breast cancer surgeon. And I really didn't know that much about surgery. All I knew was he worked a lot. He was really tired. What he did was really important, but it was a bit of a mystery. And I had a little stint in the lab. I did a master's in cancer research, basic science. So all the RT, PCR, all the molecular stuff that we're learning about now with COVID vaccines. I, I studied things similar to that but I learned working in the lab was not for me. I really was not happy there and I needed to work with people. So I applied to medical school thinking I was going to be a pediatrician because I love kids. And I thought, oh, that'll be really fun. And I learned out that pediatrics is kind of boring. So I looked into plastic surgery because I I learned early on plastic surgery is a field where you use your artistic talent, your interest in body image and self-esteem, But using your hands and every surgery is kind of like an art project and you get to help people in a way which is so unique you can't really put it in words other than you know when they look in the mirror when they look at you and you see how grateful they are you can reconstruct head to toe all different parts of the body skin tendons muscles nerves you know breast tissue fat all different ages and then there's cosmetic surgery which is actually really only about 10 percent of plastic surgery is cosmetic. The rest of it is reconstruction. And it's so fascinating. And I thought this is the perfect career for me because I get to use my brain and my hands and my love of people. And again, body image, self-esteem issues. So it's perfect career for me. If I wasn't a plastic surgeon, I don't know what I would do. Maybe be a teacher or work with kids.
2: Well, you do teach. You teach your clients about what is you know a palatable situation for them and what you know expectations need to be. Um, not only are you working with you know, the reconstruction and you know, the, the cosmetic aspect, but a lot of your work is done with breast cancer um, survivors and people going through um, the different operations of all the different steps. Talk to us about that work and how you kind of got into that. I, I heard that your father was a breast cancer surgeon, so that's probably got a little bit of to do with it, um, I would imagine. But tell us a little bit about that work because that is important.
1: It is. It's so important. And did you know, thanks to Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1996, he made breast reconstruction a legal right for women. Before 96, it was not always covered by insurance and not only surgery on the breast cancer side, but surgery on the other breast as well. So we have him to thank for that. Um, That's awesome. Isn't it amazing? I know. I'm just, I'm just shocked that it wasn't wasn't a covered benefit before that. But you know, breast cancer reconstruction, you know, reconstructing the breast, it does not, it does not give the function of the breast back. Meaning there's loss of erogenous sensation. There's loss of the ability to breastfeed, but you know, a woman has a very special relationship with her breasts and especially for women who've lost their breasts with breast cancer, Reconstructing the breast form makes them feel whole again, it makes them feel feminine, and I approach breast reconstruction as sort of, you know, making lemonade out of lemons, you know, like it's, it sucks that you're here, but let's talk about what you want for your breasts. Let's make this into your mommy makeover, your nana makeover, or your I beat cancer makeover. And it's, it's so rewarding, it's very artistic, and it's something I've always been dedicated to in my practice. And when I, when I joined my current practice, I'm currently the only plastic surgeon there, but there was three other women plastic surgeons there. And my senior associate, she really helped to popularize the technique of saving nipples. So nipple sparing mastectomy, we don't like to throw anything away. Putting implants on top of the muscle rather than under the muscle, because that provides the most natural looking result without chronic muscle tension or deformity. When a woman flexes her chest muscles, the breasts look normal. And also I did my last year of training in reconstructive microsurgery. And that's what actually brought me to San Francisco. And I stayed in 2005 and we can rearrange the body on very tiny blood vessels. So just like, you know, an organ transplant from one person to another, you harvest the organ, there's an artery going into it, a couple of veins draining, you cut the blood supply and you move it free in the air. And then you reconnect the blood vessels in the other person. Well, Microsurgery involves transplanting skin and fat from one part of the body, usually the lower abdomen, and if not the lower abdomen, the inner thighs, to reconstruct the breast. And it's amazing because you don't need an implant, so there's no foreign body. There's no risk of you know, scar tissue forming around the implant, which is called capsular contracture, infection or rejection. It's, it's a woman's own body. We're basically rearranging her body, and that's the best way to reconstruct a breast which is made out of soft, warm living tissue. If you gain weight, it grows with you. If you lose weight, it shrinks with you and it lasts forever. So that's an amazing part of breast reconstruction that I, you know, I don't offer to every woman. Not every woman is a candidate for a flap and not every woman wants a big surgery like that. But for some women where either they've had an implant and it's failed, or maybe they've had a lot of radiation damage, it it actually breathes new life into the, the area if you have damaged tissue. So it's- it's so rewarding and I do it because I love it. It doesn't pay very much and insurance reimbursements for those types of cases are embarrassingly low, but I do it because it's so important. So I'm very dedicated to that portion of my practice.
3: Wow. What a benefit you're giving back to those women. I mean, just in their self-esteem and their feeling of self-worth, I can only imagine what um, some of the cancer survivors must feel.
1: Yeah. Even, even making a new nipple, like that's, it's something that's, Really simple. I can do it in the office under local anesthesia, and women have been walking around without a nipple for 30 years. They come in in tears, and I know they're tears of joy because they're like, "Dr. Horton, I didn't know how much I missed it until I had it back." I'm like, "I know, I know, It's it's amazing." It's crazy with like how many women suffer from breast
2: cancer and have to have these you know surgeries and these operations, and how it's just now becoming a thing to where it's covered under insurance and or they're thinking about adding nipples or or making it so we can feel and look, you know, quote unquote, as normal as we, you know, or need to be. Um, I mean, it's 2021
1: for God's sakes, guys. I know. What's the deal? It's crazy.
0: Was there, was there a period of time earlier, like has the, um, let me ask this a different way. Has the treatment shifted over the years to where removing the breasts is more like that seems to me used to be a very radical uh, 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 treatment as opposed to now I think people are very much just like take them off get get it get rid of it cut them out um, and and do you think because breast reconstruction has become so um, so much more effective and so so much the skills that are required to, to do it have gotten so honed that people are more comfortable with just letting that go, knowing that they can get it back?
1: Yeah, I think definitely the, um, the types of mastectomies have evolved over the years um, for, to our benefit, to women's benefit. So the original mastectomy was called a, a radical mastectomy, where they would not only remove the breast, all the tissue, but the muscle, and they would have to put a skin graft right on top of the ribs. And that, that was thought to cure the oh. disease. And then they figured out, okay, well, we don't need to remove the muscle and we can preserve the subcutaneous layer of fat. So if you pinch over top of your sternum, what I show patients is this is your layer of subcutaneous fat. And we want to leave that behind. We've also learned that, you know, breast cancer, it's in the breast, it's not in the breast skin. So we can actually preserve the whole envelope of the breast, including the nipple and the areola. And I describe it to patients as we're kind of like, you know, like shelling out the, like peeling an orange from the inside. And there is like a little filmy layer in between the breast tissue and the subcutaneous layer of fat. And I tell patients, you know, my job is basically putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, but if a mastectomy is done very carefully, my job's actually really easy. We just need to fill the empty space either with an implant or with the body's own tissue. So I'm I'm very particular about which mastectomy surgeons I'll work with. Um, Amazingly, they're all women. There's three of them in the Bay Area who I love. And I think that they really care about the aesthetics as much as we do. And yes, they treat the disease. Yes, they're aggressive, but you don't need to go so thin on the skin where you're worried about the skin dying. They don't kill the nipple by going too thin. And they really, they care about the aesthetics. And I I appreciate that as a plastic surgeon because often the success of the reconstruction is dependent on what the mastectomy surgeon does. And so, Things have so they, definitely improved for the better. And they're leaving.
0: They're leaving you something to work with. They know exactly. what you need to work with on the other side. Correct. It's really a two-step process for women. Now.
1: Yep, it's at least two stages. Sometimes there's more stages, but you know, I I tell patients my job is to make things look good, but you know, there's that's why there's two different surgeons. the The mastectomy surgeon is sort of the demolition team, and I'm the reconstruction team. But we all have the same goal to make the, the patient cancer free to reduce the risk of recurrence and to help her move forward with, with her life. And if she looks even better than she started, then that's great.
2: So are you wow. finding your practice is more geared towards that type of work or like fit, how much of your practice is mommy makeover versus this reconstruction aspect?
1: Right, well, when I started my practice in 2006, I'd say it was about 80% breast reconstruction. cosmetic, and now it's actually reversed. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not doing as much breast reconstruction just because I think as you get older and your practice evolves, I'm doing more aesthetic surgery. Um, Part of it is the reimbursements. The reimbursements are not great, so I'm currently only working with a couple of insurance companies. But I think I will always do some reconstruction just because it's it's so intellectually challenging. Microsurgery is really technically challenging, and I actually work together with a microsurgical partner. In those cases, they're hard, and they take all day, but they're they're so rewarding, and I think they help keep your skills up. So mostly what I'm doing now is aesthetic surgery. Uh, I do lots of mommy makeovers, and that's basically a a catch term to help moms feel better about having surgery for themselves, and it's often breast surgery together with some sort of tummy surgery, but a mommy makeover can really be anything you want it to be. You know, my mommy makeover was a breast augmentation. I recently had my Botox touch up and a little bit of filler. That was my mommy makeover. It could be a labioplasty. It could be a neck lift. It could be really whatever you want it to be. So I think as, you know, like all of you, as as you move on in your careers, things, things evolve and they change a little bit. But I only do procedures that I really, really enjoy doing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I will um, do a little disclosure here. I uh... Dr. Karen Horton is not only a friend, but she is also my surgeon. And <laughs> I gained an exorbitant amount of weight when I had my kids and got back to normal, but had an extra layer of stomach that was not uh, going to go away any which way. And so I went and saw Karen.
0: Do we, we want to say what you used to refer to your stomach
2: as? It looked like a ball sack, you guys. It, it, really, it really did. It was like all shriveled up like a piece of bubble gum.
1: <laughs> I it did was- write that down in your chart. <laughs> She wrote Inflation. it down in my
2: chart. And I remember I was like the queen of hiding it though. And I remember the first time I went to Karen and I took off my clothes and she goes, Oh my God, you have such, so- like I had no idea. Like you hid this so well. And I was you like used the- to
0: tell me that all the time. And I was like, Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Nobody no knew. I was like, oh shit, it does look like a ball sack. It looks okay. like a ball
2: sack. You guys, it was <laughs> it was like mortifying. And so I was so miserable. I was 38 years old and I was like, this is who I am and this is not who I want to be. So I went in and I did it. And I, you know, I knew there were certain people that were like, oh, uh, you know, you're getting a tummy tuck. And it was like, I'm doing this because I can't physically get rid of this unless I go and have this procedure done. Um, and I, you know, for me, the body image thing was about, I didn't feel good in my skin because I knew, I, I knew that, the, what had happened to me was I had two nine pound babies and I'm five feet one frame. It was, it was not good for me. Um, but Karen was, was amazing. And it, it's really funny. So now a lot of the times she'll have um, people that are interested in having surgery. And so I always say, give them my number. I'll talk it. I'll, I'll walk you through the whole thing, what I went through. And one of the gals I just talked to was like, you know, Karen's just so nice. Is she, is she just really, is that an actor? Is she just, and I'm like, no, she's actually really that nice. And she's, she's a brilliant surgeon and she's actually a really nice person. Um and yeah, it was it's like, it was funny. I was like having this argument with a girl about how nice you were, And I was like, no, 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 she really is that nice. But I guess, I guess the long-winded roundabout way to get to the, my next question is why is body image such a harsh subject for us girls? And why is society the way it is geared towards our bodies? How did we get here?
3: Why do people look down on us for wanting to improve ourselves when something like that is actually not going to happen any other way? Why is it negative?
1: You know, that is such a good question, but I think it's always been that way. Um, You know, I was interviewed for um, an article talking about men having cosmetic surgery versus women, and why are men allowed to age gracefully where women just get haggard? I'm like, that's a really good question. You know, I think we all want to look our best, uh, but we don't want to (laughs) admit to the little tricks and techniques. Um, I would think we have the Kardashians to thank. For making having work done a little bit more mainstream and acceptable. And it's like, you know, like the the women in Paris, like they all look beautiful and they say, oh, they don't do anything. Yes, they do. They do. They just don't admit to it. So I I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about. I don't think it's selfish or vain to want to look and feel your best. Yes, you know, having Procedures in the office, injectable procedures, you know, it's a needle, there's a little bit of downtime, there can be bruising. Uh, Surgery is very invasive, definitely, you know, cutting, sewing, scars, downtime, bruising, expense. But as long as you, number one, are fully informed, you need full informed consent, you need to understand what are the pros and the cons, what are the alternatives, what are the risks and the benefits, you um, have time off to, to recover and you can afford it and you have a good supportive network of people around you to help you either with your family or with work and you can really focus on yourself. It can be a great thing, but you have to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And the most important person that you do it for is yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell patients that, you know, say there's a body part that you really can't stand. Like Samantha's ball sack. My ball um, if, you, if you can tweak that area, in a way where you don't you either have a different relationship with it or you don't ever think about it again. Like you would just have no problem throwing on a bikini and you know jumping in the pool with your kids, then we've done a good job.
2: That's me now. But I don't, not I don't for think everyone. about the ball sack anymore, you guys. The ball but. sack's gone. Thank you.
0: So first of all, I don't <laughs> want to thank the Kardashians for anything. Uh, so I'm just gonna gloss right over that part. But yeah. here is my here's my burning question. What size? is the most popular boob requested.
1: Ooh. So that varies. You know, my, my, I was pretty small breasted. And if you want to see my before and afters, I have a whole 10 part blog series on my website, drkarenhorton.com, where I share everything. I share contemplating having surgery, how I found my surgeon, you know, body image changes, recovery drains, the whole, the whole deal. And actually on the very last blog post, I share my before and afters. You have to cover up nipples because it was on Instagram, but you can see I was starting off fairly small breasted. I wanted a natural result. I knew I needed like around 300 cc. So one side was 295 cc's. The other one was 330 cc. But there's not a one size fits all approach. I did two cases last week and I put in 650s, which sounds humongous. But yeah. that case, They were perfect. They really got her to where she wanted to go. She looked very classy. She looked proportional. And another case I put in 485, which also sounds huge. So I'd say the average size is in like the 300 to 400 range, which is a little bit more than a cup of milk. A cup of milk is 250 cc's, but it really depends what you're starting with. Is it an empty postpartum breast where it's like floppy skin and you need a lot of volume to fill it out? Is it a woman who's never had children before and she has a dense breast and she really only needs like 180 cc's to get her to where she wants to go? I tend to see women that are athletic like me and slender and they don't want to look fake. Like, honestly, when I had my surgery, I said, I don't even want my mom to know. Like I told her, but we had an argument. I'm like, mom, I have something to tell you. She's like, what? I'm like, I've had surgery. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, no, no, I had a breast augmentation. She's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yes, I did. No, you didn't. I pulled up my shirt. I'm like, look, she's like, Oh, you look natural. I'm like, yes, I know. So <laughs> I just wanted to be proportional, fill out a bathing suit top and not necessarily want all, all my male colleagues to notice. So that's a long-winded answer to, it depends. That's a good, that's a good answer.
0: (laughs) So uh, we actually had somebody on here that, that uh, on an earlier episode that talked about that all women look beautiful lying down, which uh, by the way, at that moment, I decided I was going to spend the rest of my life in a prone position. You're hilarious. I'm sitting right now, but for the most part, I try to lay down as often as I can,
1: especially when naked. You just have to. I have <laughs> never down. heard that before.
0: Was, what, it, what about the was,
1: boobs that fall to the side, though?
0: Well, I, I got that. You, you yeah. to kind of. You know. Okay, but um, where was I going with this? Oh, okay. So you know, outside of the mommy makeover, like what's the what's the one uh? The, Oh, I mean, I have so many that I could be like, oh, fix this. That's the weirdest thing, people. Well, what is, what's, the one that's, what's the one that's requested the most? And Jen, correct? What's the, what was the one that was just so out of the box? It was a little okay. like, oh.
1: So uh, the procedure I do almost every single day on almost every single patient as part of the surgery is liposuction. Because you know, like even with my surgery, I had like a few little tablespoons of fat right here in my armpit and my surgeon just started adding that on to her breast procedures. I'm like, oh, I do that with everyone. Just that little bit of armpit fat that, you know, hangs out of your tank top. It's such a subtle, but significant little tweak that if I see someone else's before and afters and if they haven't addressed that fat, that's all I notice. I'm like, oh. So that's definitely liposuction as a complement to other procedures. Um, I would say the an, another one which I'm doing a lot more of lately because of Zoom are neck lifts and eyelid surgery because everyone is staring at themselves on Zoom in horrible lighting. Like right now I'm, I'm in terrible lighting and I look at my face and it looks terrible, you know, but you, you don't normally walk around all day with that horrible lighting or have a camera angle like this. So definitely neck lifts and eyelid surgery are very popular and plus you can hide a lot of it with a mask. So those are definitely the most popular. One of the, it's a procedure for me, which is very commonplace, but like say I'm at a cocktail party and there's a whole bunch of obnoxious men and, you know, like, oh, what do you do? For, you know, did, See, I'm in my scrubs. Oh, you just get off your shift. I'm like, oh no, I just did a labioplasty. And they're like, what's that? I'm <laughs> like, oh, just trimming trimming the labes, labia minora. They're like, what? I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, i so trimming your bangs, but down there. And I start talking about vagina
3: and they all shut <gasps> up. <gasps> what would the that, why would somebody... Like come up, I didn't know that was a thing. First of all, so uh, labiaplasty is
1: it's a very common procedure for me. I have over 200 before and afters on the website, and if you go to the labiaplasty gallery, not safe for work, you'll see vagina, vagina, vagina. <laughs> but it's for looks, or it's for because it's a combination of not wanting to look down and see the extra, you know, folds of the Libyan menorah peek out. Uh, often women are like adjusting themselves all the time. I, one patient say, I would never sit cross-legged wearing a white bikini because the little areas might, you know, poke out. Um, sometimes it's fitness instructors or professional athletes that did an MMA fighter and they had like chronic tears there. So sometimes it's for aesthetic reasons. Sometimes it's for functional reasons. It's usually a combination of both. So that's, you know, obviously you don't need one. And I see lots of women. I see all my patients eventually naked lying on the table. And I see lots of patients like, oh, they have a lot extra labia minora tissue, but it's not a problem for them. But, you know, that's that's a very common procedure for me, but it's it's usually a surprise to people who don't know about labiaplasty. What
2: causes your labia to become problematic? Is it like a childbirth thing?
1: No, it's genetic. And it usually really? grows a little bit during puberty. It's usually just the labia minora, which are the inner lips that we want to trim. And it's a part that hangs longer and lower. It's more darkly pigmented. It has an irregular cobblestoney like texture. And I do the, a technique that's called the trim technique. I say it's like trimming your bangs, which is down what's there. What's your recovery like with your ho hobby and all told? <laughs> I got <laughs> it, one week piece. off work. One week off work, three weeks off exercise or sex. Damn! Uh, amazingly, it's not very painful. Three weeks doesn't seem that long. If, What's that? <laughs> Three weeks doesn 't seem that long it 's not that long, no same thing well, with the and one, more, one more. Yeah, at three weeks
2: well, I think about like after you have a baby, I mean I had C sections, so i can 't attest to having, yeah. having that experience, but you know you 're pretty you 've got some action down there, you so it's trauma, yeah,
1: probably similar recovery right i 'd say it 's probably less less painful than childbirth, especially if you needed an episiotomy a little cut because there 's all the hormonal changes, there 's a lot more swelling, Libioplasty is actually pretty gentle. And thanks to the pandemic, I used to do all those procedures with patients asleep in the operating room, just because it was easy. And then of course, COVID hit and I had about 10 labioplasties scheduled and we had to cancel them because I wasn't allowed to do surgery for 11 weeks. And the patients started calling the office and saying, well, can't you do it like in, in the office, like awake with numbing? Oh I'm my God. God. Are oh you, my I guess God. so. Really? So oh, yeah, so we, we started doing that? them with, with an oral anti-anxiety pill and patients did fine. So oh now we're doing it awake under local. Plus we have a special little um, gas machine that they can breathe with 50% laughing gas, 50% oxygen. It's called Pronox. And it makes just the time of the injection actually really pleasant for them. They, they giggle and then they're numb. And once you're numb, it's like just like at the dentist, you can do anything. Oh my so, God. Yeah. Wow. We this do the little not, lady yeah. ad, trimmy, trimmy trimmy in the office. This, this is dope. amazing. Uh, that's no. a no for me. That's, that's going to be a no
0: for me. A no yeah.
2: for me too. It's a little, it's a little <laughs> So Karen also does uh, have cool sculpting in her office. She's got laser treatments in her office. She has Emily in Emily's her amazing. office. Emily. Who we love Emily. Basically, we love
1: Bay Area Injector. She's, uh, she's the
2: greatest thing ever. Um, You know, Karen, you have not only mastered the art of social media as well, as one of your many hats you are, but you're actually opening up your own surgery center, which is almost ready to go. Um, And that's a huge accomplishment. Tell us a little bit about what got that idea going and where you're at with that process.
1: All right. Well, we are still under construction. It'll be a huge announcement when we're finally built, but of course, construction always takes forever forever. But I heard, I, again, I brought all my patients to the operating room for like 15 years. And, you know, in San Francisco, the buildings have to be retrofitted to be earthquake sound. And I heard that one of the hospitals where I bring patients, their retrofitting was going to expire 10 years down the road. And I'm like, oh no, where am I going to operate in 10 years? I need a place. Plus, because I was doing more cosmetic procedures, I thought, you know, it'd be really nice to have my own place. And. Uh, a build, or an office right across the hall from me in the same building became available. And I went to have a, a look and it had tons of light. If you look far away, you can see the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like, oh, this is a great space. So I it took me a while to find a medical architect who had worked with other surgeons before and had built an operating room. It's been a two-year project. And I thought it would be really nice to have my own office, you know, very warm, lots of space, very clean, you know, feminine, but not too girly with an operating room. And we are going to have three treatment rooms, so room for three Emily's, which is amazing. And just to have my own place where, you know, patients can feel really comfortable, like it's less clinical. They don't have to go to the hospital for uh, a cosmetic procedure. So it's going to be ready definitely by the winter. We'll have a big party when it's open. And that's where I'll do all my cosmetic outpatient surgeries. That is fantastic. I'm so excited for you. That's
2: amazing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be great.
2: I've seen the space. It's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great.
2: The light is amazing. Um, And Karen, what do you think is the most exciting part about your job?
1: I get to help people every day and I get to do what I love. I get to connect with them in such a unique and very personal way. Um, I don't have to deal with that much, you know, bad stuff like breast cancer. Like, yes, I'll meet someone who has breast cancer, but I, I'm the happy part of it. And they say, you know, I hate going to all my other doctors, but I love coming here because all we talk about is how I feel and how I look. And you know, I have, I, I wanted to be an artist when I was younger. I remember my parents saying, you can't make money, you know, can't make our living being an artist. And I figured out ten years in, I'm like, oh, I guess I am. And it's, I you didn't expect. You figured out a way to make money being an artist. An artist, artist and a surgeon. Yeah, but I, I've never like I get up every day at at 4:45, and I have no pro, no trouble getting up. Whereas, you know, during medical school, some of my rotations I really didn't enjoy, like internal medicine and psychiatry, and I found myself like dragging my feet, and I just didn't didn't love it. I didn't really want to come to work, and I I love what I do. I would do it all over again. Mm-hmm. So, I get I get a lot out of it personally, and the fact that I can make a living, support my family. My husband stay at home; he's Mister Mom. And expand my practice is just the greatest gift in the world.
0: Uh, most, most unique request you got from a patient. Oh,
1: uh, a forked tongue procedure. Somebody, somebody contacted us. Do you do the forked tongue procedure? Snake? Like, like, yeah, they want to look like a snake. And I, I knew what they were asking, but I responded. I'm like, if you would like me to reconstruct your tongue because you want it to look and move normally, I'm happy to do that, but I'm not going to fork it. So I think they saw someone else in the building because the the other surgeon blogged about it. So I think someone else forked the tongue.
2: Why would you want to have your tongue look like a fork?
1: You know, there's this whole part of society uh, that the BM, body modification. I actually have a couple of patients that have body modification. You know, they have like implants under their skin. Like if there's a tattoo that looks like a flower, it kind of makes it look 3D. It's interesting. Or you've probably seen people who have like little diamonds and stuff like under their skin. Some people no, have not seen that extreme. Like they have horns put in under I their... I need skin. to get some new friends. Uh, <laughs> my yeah.
3: friends are not that cool. <laughs> if a friend yeah. showed up at my door with horns coming out of their head that was actually surgically put there, I would freak out. Yeah, yeah. See, There's mean, it's that would exactly not in okay. society
1: Where they do that. But you know what? It's like, okay, it's, it's not for me. And I, I don't perform those procedures, but it's one step forward. You, you know, people people tattoo their bodies they they modify their bodies it's it's at one end of the extreme but it's 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 part of society
0: if it makes them happy and they feel good about themselves more power to them
3: yeah all for whatever the uh physical appearance that you want you can have yeah, and you know what there's a little bit of the customer's always right yeah within yeah. reason oh my gosh. This has been so great, Karen. Um, We want to thank our inspired listeners for joining us today and thank Karen Horton, Dr. Karen Horton, for joining us uh, and teaching us a little bit more about plastic surgery and all that can be done and the mommy makeover. It's really um, something to think about for everybody. (laughs) So we hope you picked a few nuggets out of our podcast today to inspire you to, uh, move forward and, and inspire other women. I think it's really great work that you're doing, Karen. Thank you so much for joining the Inspired team today. Thank you.